On Saturday 16th of May 2020, over 7,000 people experienced dawn together with live music as daylight swept across the UK. Starting at 3.43am, a narrator joined five musicians in lockdown as they performed a newly commissioned work from composer James Bully. Each performer's contribution was defined by the dawn at their location, building from a solo to a quintet as daylight moved across the country. The broadcast was recorded and mixed live by technicians and specialists also working from lockdown in their own homes. The mass participation artwork by Non-Zero One was made in collaboration with James Bully and commissioned by the National Trust in partnership with Heritage Open Days, supported by players of People's Postcode Lottery. Non-Zero One are myself, Sarah, Kat, Fran and John. I wasn't involved in the making of Dawns after we had the original idea on a rooftop in Peckham, as I was off on parental leave. I thought this would be a great opportunity to ask the others some questions about how the work evolved, especially after the UK went into lockdown on the 23rd of March in response to the coronavirus pandemic. So I gave them a ring to catch up. Hi everyone. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, yes, in- interesting experience uh, getting mm. to um, take part in a piece of Non-Zero One's work, um, having not been involved in the making. And so uh, thought we would use the opportunity to ask you some questions. And I think actually it would be interesting to start at the pandemic as it was such a significant twist in the journey. Um, So how do you think lockdown affected the work artistically? Did it lose or gain anything? I'm going to jump on in here, guys. Okay, you do it. (laughs) I had a feeling. I had a strange feeling you were going to do that. Well, I I actually remember, because we were working together and creating Dawns in, um, we were sharing an office space at Somerset House, and... I actually remember, and I didn't realise how much of a big moment this was, and it was the last time we were all in a room together creating this piece of work. And it was around about, I think it must have been like the 9th or the 11th of March, it was something around there. And uh, and it was, at that moment in time, we were creating a piece that was also happening at five different, uh, mainly National Trust locations, because obviously Dawn's was created um, in collaboration with the National Trust and Heritage Open Days. And so it was meant to be um, very much a live event where the musicians were playing in National Trust uh, locations and venues. And when we left each other on the 11th, we have never been in a room together again in order to make this piece of work. And yet it's happened, Um, but also shifted completely. So it was no longer a piece where, you know, audiences could go to these um, five locations and much more an online piece. So so suddenly it, it, it changed in how people could access it in a massive way. That was the first thing that sort of came about. I think that's interesting because I, I think I remember it slightly differently or like mm. what what was interesting in, in terms of our, our conversation at that point artistically about how Dawn's was going to work is we just, we'd, we'd always kind of wanted the piece to be accessible to people in their homes Mm. as well so although we've been talking about um going to some of the sites we were also really aware that like some of these sites like the top of a a a lighthouse in Cornwall was only ever going to be able to fit like 
10 people there or something. So we'd always kind of talked about um, wanting the piece to kind of be able to to reach people in their own homes. And we'd got to this point where we'd sort of realised that that was going to be a huge uh, chunk of... of um, time and effort and we've we'd sort of been talking about the fact that we actually had wanted to kind of shift our thinking in terms of uh prioritizing that a bit more um like at the time we'd you know there'd been quite a lot of focus on the different sites and we'd gone oh you know what like we need to really start thinking about how people are going to access this in in their homes as well mm. um and what was interesting artistically is like the themes we started out with like even at our first ever kind of um conversation about it with you Sarah back when you were pregnant (laughs) in in Mountview was um was that were the themes of kind of togetherness and difference and nature and light and um and what was interesting about lockdown and the kind of artistic aims of the piece is like that never changed and mm-hmm. and actually in a it sounds really it probably sounds too crass but in a way like the piece almost benefited in a way from mm. from lockdown because suddenly these ideas of like togetherness and difference in nature and light they all took on such a different meaning and such a heightened mm. meaning when suddenly we were all well, we separate. were all kind of isolated in our homes, yeah, mm. and separate. Um, but there were those so big conversations, angle. weren't there, on on like what does it mean now to not be in these yeah. locations that we'd so um, carefully mapped out? Because what we wanted was dawn to sort of represent the sweep of light across the UK and the fact what Kat just said was about difference and like making, you know, highlighting the fact that in one part of the UK, even though it's at exactly the same time as another, one will be in complete darkness while the other is experiencing light. I think that's really interesting because Mm. obviously when those physical sites were removed Mm. and like you were just saying, Fran, there was still that ambition to um, keep the physical spaces um, having this spread that correlated yeah. with um, how dawn was sweeping across the country. So how did you then deal with that? Well, I wonder, I don't know what you you guys think, but I mean, I, I, I don't think it's like unfair to say that that was still a very difficult thing to resolve. Um, mm. The question of the relevance and the significance of the original five sites within the finished piece of work I think we were aware that that was an outstanding question and one that potentially never kind of fully got resolved. I'm just going to put put that out there because there was, you know, some suggestion that those sites inspired the music. And I think to an extent they they might have done because it was all part of our research and our experience and the way that the piece was forming. and. Mm-hmm everybody who took part knew what those sites were but there was perhaps not such a direct line between uh, one site and the exact music that was played by the musician who was Mm. was linked to that site um not perhaps as direct a relationship as if that musician had been sitting at that site in that moment Mm. and looking at the waves crashing on the shore and deciding to play a certain set of notes because of being in proximity to that 
And so that was a question for us that came up a number of times, I think, where we said, okay, so how, what is the significance of these sites? Do we say that it inspired the music? Do we say, you know, I, and I don't mean, do we make it up? I think it's which, which, um, you know, which of those is the more important aspect to highlight? It, it became a lot about starting to acknowledge the reality of yeah. the situation also, we, and not, we, not apologizing for that, but instead saying, yeah. yeah, okay, we've got musicians. They will be responding to the dawn around them, but that dawn happens to be in, Bermondsey, not Northern Ireland. Um, and how do you sort of explain that within the piece? <laughs> but we did try and take that into account. I mean, I just remember lots of conversations that Kat kind of fed back from James about about trying to get the musicians in a spread that still felt relevant to the timeline that we'd set up. So we still really wanted to push for having a musician in Scotland and then all the way down to Cornwall because that that was sort of the conclusion of the piece almost because of of what the darkness um is like at that time so it was i think that then became really important and then we just had to link them to the locations rather than um them actually being there and for me participating in it i felt that the sight of the musicians became the more important site mm. and became the more interesting site because as Kat was saying earlier about those themes of connectedness and togetherness they were so heightened by being in lockdown that this feeling of the musicians also in their homes but also spread geographically actually gave a sighted nature to it that um, felt really impactful and I guess mm. um, that sort of leads me on to my next question in a way around that feeling of togetherness of taking part in something and knowing that um you know thousands of other people were taking part uh alongside you and those collective actions that we were asked to be involved in i just wanted to dig into those a little bit and um hear why it felt important to include those this was the first time we'd ever worked um with music in this way and with dawns what we wanted to kind of sort of test in a way was could you feel connected to the other people listening at that mm. time um and if so like how could how could we do that um and because we were reaching so many people it wasn't like we could um I don't know connect people by uh sharing text messages with each other or having like we didn't want to have like a chat box down the website where people could be chatting to each other because it was also about keeping people in that kind of view in front of them of the dawn and having that vista. But were there kind of these moments where you were just sort of reminded that there were all of these other people um, listening at the same time? So we, we sort of chose a few collective actions. I mean, initially that was kind of the role of the narrator as well. So, um, so my, my voice ended up coming in at the beginning just to kind of introduce it almost like <laughs> almost like an excited audience member you know herself just kind of getting excited about what was going to happen but also just kind of setting up this idea that there were all these other people around um mm -hmm. also up at this time but having a completely different view to you because you might be in um you might be in Newcastle and getting the light really early 
or you might be over in in Northern Ireland and it'd be completely pitch black at that point. And just trying to kind of remind people. And so some of the things that we did were that we asked people to kind of find their um, kind of northeast point to southwest point, which was the direction of the dawn and just kind of move together at the same time and kind of imagine themselves like doing that with a lot of other people, like a kind of tiny dance move <laughs> for everyone taking part. Um, there was also a moment where at uh, 4.49 a.m. we asked everybody uh, if they would like to take a photo of their particular view at that point. And that was the only real time that we asked people to kind of directly look at their screens but it, it was this idea that like at this moment at this at 4 49 a.m like you know hundreds and thousands of people across the uk were all kind of doing the same action as you and could you try it would that engender some kind of feeling of togetherness especially at this kind of really weird time of of lockdown and isolation where maybe having that kind of togetherness feels especially hard. Because our work's and... so interested in choice, isn't it? That that first collective action as a participant really felt like the choice to take part, the choice to mm. take, get up at, you know, 3.43 a.m. I was just going to say, I wonder if it also started even before that, mm. before the event, because... Um, mm. We we talked about Dawn's um, as being a bit of a journey that you went on because we were aware that it's one night only and that we, we kind of mm. wanted to extend it for people a bit more than that. And so we felt the lead in to the experience was quite important and the way that you learned about Dawn's and about um, perhaps the other people taking part at least kind of where they were and, and um, how many of them there were. And so we asked you to sign up on the website so we could send you information but linked to that was also the placing of your pin on a map with your first name um and so it couldn't identify your exact house it didn't zoom in that far but it gave a picture of all the people who had signed up and so by the time the broadcast went live we had over four thousand households and we know that many of those households contained more than one person so it's fair to assume based on the statistics in the feedback we know over 7,000 people um, were taking part but we could have just asked you to sign up to a mailing list and not included any feature like the map and the pins but we wanted to find constant ways to remind you that there are other people out there. We can look at a picture of the UK and zoom out perhaps in a time where it feels like we're quite zoomed in and that everything is just, our worlds have kind of shrunk quite a lot because of what we're allowed to do, who we're allowed mm -hmm. to see and where we're allowed to. And so this ability to see on a map, all of these people in places that you might have been before or you wish you could go now or you've never seen and know that they are there too in their own quite, zoomed in worlds at the moment um felt like a really important feature to to us and was mm. one that kept coming up mm. throughout the sign up journey and throughout the way we communicated with audiences in the lead up i was on actually on the at 3:43 on the 16th of may i was across the social media part of it as well and and actually what was amazing i think and the narrator definitely kind of supported this in 
in that moment of those little tiny moments of togetherness was suddenly people started talking to each other about dawns or or showing their photos of dawns on social media so suddenly um twitter particularly just like mm-hmm. really took off in people kind of communicating with one another who'd never met before but were all taking part in the same collective action and it was it would i think out of everything that happened in dawn so obviously we had set up as much as we could to know how it would run <laughs> as um <laughs> of what we'd planned but mm-hmm. for me the most surprising element was the way people were connecting w- with one another in a way that we hadn't almost set up for them yeah you're totally right fran like and it was so moving wasn't it hearing everybody's yeah. like responses in that way like people had written mm poems and drawn pictures in response as well and were sharing those with each other and responding to that and yeah it it completely um expanded out of what whatever we thought could happen it was yeah that was really touching Fran you were talking about the responses that people were Um, making on Twitter and how personal some of those were and one of the things that struck me was um, how personal actually Kat's narration was. Mm. Um, We often have uh, a a sort of disembodied voice that's talking to participants and guiding them through the work and this um, this felt slightly different because uh, we learned a lot about Kat in a very short period of time and that felt Mm really uh, necessary and I just wondered what yeah um yeah what led to that decision and and how that sort of developed yeah it, it, it was it was a decision that we didn't take lightly you know the the mm. um the idea was always that we would <laughs> have a professional <laughs> um have a have a have a, yeah. a, uh, an, an actor or some you know um someone who does it on the regular <laughs> as it were um to uh to to be that kind of voice which is which is normally what we do as well and i think again it was probably something that was as a product of of lockdown mm. is we were all in this more vulnerable position we were asking people to, as Fran said, we were asking people to do a lot, to commit a lot. And it felt somehow that it needed to be one of our voices um, because to kind of offer up that slight vulnerability as well and sort of go, we're we're in this position too, you know, like we're mm-hmm. not, um, you know, this this whole piece is being... Um, put together by different people in their bedrooms or in their houses, you know, right through to the the technicians and the 4G guys and the web guys, you know, we're all like here in our individual sort of um, lockdown situations. Um, and it, it felt, it felt right. It felt like it was the right thing to do to kind of open that up a little bit and mm. offer a bit of us by way of trying to connect with all of those people. It actually felt like, to me, it felt like a real honor to to do it because it's not, like I said, it's not something that you would typically associate with a non-zero one piece. Like I'm at a very particular point in, in my life being like first time pregnant and quite heavily pregnant and, um, 
and obviously we had all these backups as well where like Fran was oh ready God. and on hand. <laughs> the, the plan was, oh my God, Sarah, the plan over. was if Kat, if Kat went into labour, I would jump in a car <laughs> and drive to Royden because it got to a point that it was like so late in the day we couldn't get all the stuff like couriered. So Kat would have to stay in the house and I'd be in the shed and John would also drive up to sort of manage the tech of it. Um, and that, that was genuinely <laughs> the backup plan. That was the backup plan. Um, yeah. It's worrying, really. That's I'm not really, best practice. I'm sort of glad I didn't That's know that until yeah. now. Uh, it was a worrying situation for all Red of us. tape. Um, <laughs> um, but I guess that the, the script was so personal and like you've just identified, like so much could have had changed in the lead up to it and could have changed minute by minute and did change actually when um it was difficult initially for people to um uh, log on which you were solving and so there's this the element of liveness of the, of the piece was really emphasized at that moment and and cat that also came through in the script um and yeah. so how how were you dealing with that at that time <laughs> um, <laughs> at some points better than others no. um, <laughs> yeah I think I mean that was an, that was another reason why we thought it would be uh difficult to bring on someone else as well in, into mm. that moment because so much of it was being like rewritten and, and reworked like right up until the the four minutes before we um started and things mm -hmm. like that um and, and well four minutes after we started <laughs> yeah minutes after. we yeah because we had um we did have the the sort of technical glitch at the beginning because so many people were were like tr trying to access um the website all at the same time um so we were so there was like you know the longest um <laughs> 10 minutes of my life while we were waiting to see what would <laughs> mm. um what would happen and trying to kind of uh keep also sort of to, to sort of try and acknowledge that because one of the biggest obstacles presented by the pandemic was obviously that technically you were having to rely on people who you'd never actually met um <laughs> and so in a live broadcast event and so from the start of the having to enter into those collaborations to delivering the work on the day how how did how did that work? How did you approach that? Yeah, well, I think some of the challenges in the collaboration were introduced just by the concept. Even before lockdown, we were committed to doing something that was spread out across the country. And obviously, you can't be in two places at once. And the kind of commitment to making something decentralized already introduced a lot of those challenges of remote collaboration and remote working um and i think you know we we've talked about this before but if you were planning to do a brand new piece of music played publicly by five musicians playing different instruments if that was the only thing you were trying to achieve i don't think one of the decisions you would take would be to put them at five different places across the country you'd put them all in one room preferably um, an auditorium or recording studio and you'd give them lots of time to practice together um, and so we knew that 
those challenges were going to be introduced just by um, what we wanted to do geographically. The reality of the lockdown meant that the timeline moved quite a lot. And whereas in the original idea, it was at least more possible that people would have had the time to rehearse together. And that's the kind of thing that perhaps is not as easy to replicate over Zoom and Skype. But um, yeah, a lot of those challenges were actually caused by what we wanted to do geographically and the original <laughs> idea as much as they were by lockdown itself. And certainly James, the composer, had to think about how you would get five musicians to play one brand new piece of music that they've got to learn, they've got to improvise with, and then they've got to respond not only to their environment, but also the musicians that they can hear. That All of that was a challenge before lockdown. And then, you know, lockdown just sort of intensified um, that sense of people being separate and needing to find different ways to, to get together. Because of lockdown, what had to happen was that, <laughs> you know, the musicians, as well as, um, as well as performing and as well as like putting together that uh, music, they also had to uh, put together the technology with these amazing <laughs> instructions from 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 the different teams. So we uh, so each of the performers had like a kind of uh, incredibly organised um, like uh, several pelly cases of kit sent over by John, and these like video instructions for you know like how do we set up this. 4G we called them the space stations like in our in our like <laughs> gardens to get that tech done you know we were under um, the amazing um sound mixer sound technician Simon you know we'd have we'd have a each have a phone call with him where he described how do we set up a mixing desk um and with John we were having like long calls about and here's how we set up the uh two different cameras that are going to record the whole thing for for the film and um so it was an incredible ask of those musicians as well as kind of doing this very unusual music performance which you know I think I'm okay in saying they'd never done in that way before is like on top of doing that there was all this extras that they had to uh, get on board with as well <laughs> yeah like like you said Kat we we had originally planned that at each site would be the musician um a sort of sound assistant who would be there to help the musician technically there'd be um, um that person would be doing the levels and all the sound balancing for that then there'd be a runner or a production assistant there'd be a member of Non-Zero One and then there'd be one or two members of the streaming team. So we were up to six people needing to travel to each site, which obviously then got reduced down to zero people traveling and just <laughs> one person being there. And that musician, like you said, had to take on the role of streaming engineer, sound engineer. Um, oh, oh, yeah, the camera crew that we were going to send to different places too. So add that to the six. Um, they had to be their own camera crew, uh, whilst mm. also not being so distracted that they couldn't play the world premiere of a semi-improvised, uh, you know, group uh, composition at three forty-three in the morning, <laughs> uh, whilst being, you know, broadcast to to seven thousand people. And so, um, a lot of lessons were learned in in the best way to 
try and uh, transfer some of that remotely. Uh, and I remember, Kat, actually, before Simon rang you to set your kit up, the first thing he did for each of you was to call you to just see what you already had. And then he, yeah. off the back of that call, would send me a shopping list. And you needed about a thousand pounds worth of equipment sent to you, um, which <laughs> oh my then, God. you know, we had to get from various suppliers because all of the shops have gone into lockdown and supply chains are disrupted and, and stuff like that. So before any rehearsals could take place, there needed to be a call from Simon, the sound engineer, to work out what you actually needed, then for that to be bought, delivered to you, then a call for it to be set up and tested then it being put into a rehearsal situation and all of that needing to be done, you know, at least a week before uh, the broadcast itself, like those rehearsals being completed. So there was quite a lot of working backwards as well to try and work out what the lead times were and what order things needed to happen in. <laughs> and the first and the first thing that we were sent by our amazing project manager, Katie Welford, as well, was um, was alcohol wipes. Because of course everything also went through these really rigorous like um, health and safety risk assessments as well, and uh, so so you know none of the equipment was um, hired like it was all kind of brand new and we had you know we wiped everything down and there was like a whole kind of process as well um, yeah remarkable really we don't shy away from a challenge do we thanks Sarah uh, that was. Thanks, that Louise. Was, yeah, that was really <laughs> Louise through. It was uh, lovely to hear some of the detail on the development of it. Um, after you know, uh, after experiencing it as a participant, Sarah, I've got a question for you. We the the first thing we did on Dawns was we sat together, the four of us, um, Fran, John, you, and myself. Uh, on a roof <laughs> kindly uh lent to us by mount view and um we talked about what we wanted dawns to be and i just wondered like then for you obviously going on parental leave and then sort of experiencing it like how much did it kind of could you draw anything together like did you did you go oh yeah i remember us talking about that or was it actually completely different no, I think um, I think everything we talked about in the beginning was just really brought to life in the experience and enhanced by the fact, by the emotion and the mood of the time, if that makes any sense, around being isolated and being in lockdown and not being able to personally, physically connect with people. One of the things that we talked about was this idea of dawn sort of coloring in the view mm. and sort of going from this gray into something almost like muted technicolor and mm. i think that really um came to life for me when experiencing the piece whilst looking out of the window at my um at my family home and that was gorgeous to sort of know that we'd sown that seed, uh, you know, back on that roof on top of Mount View. Mm. And then to have, for you guys to have really drawn that 
out to its sort of logical conclusion, especially in the turbulence of, you know, the pandemic and how how do we how how do we keep um keep how how do we keep this opportunity open for participants because I guess there was a real sense that it might just not have happened and actually um it was an artwork that could happen at a time when art and culture is completely um is really difficult to access and so mm. I think for me it just it really felt like those initial conversations and that that initial feeling that we wanted to create actually just became way more poignant than I could have imagined mm. in the in the final in the final work oh thanks mate thanks everyone that was gorgeous it'll thanks, be nice Sarah. when we can all all meet each other in person soon as well Okay, bye, 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 everyone. Bye, 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 bye. That was John Hunter, Fran Miller, and Kat Harrison talking to me, Sarah Butcher, about Dawns. To find out more about Dawns, visit www.dawns.live. And to find out more about Non Zero One, visit www.nonzero1.com. Non Zero One make interactive artworks where you, the participants, are active and important. Thanks for listening.